like an opener. Like we'll have our music and then it'll cut to us. And so we've already been sort of introduced. I don't know if we should say like, hey, I'm Liza, I'm the sewing one. Or like, uh, or if it's just better just jump in with like, hey, Megan. <laughs> we can say that, let's try saying that. All right. Hello, I'm Liza, I'm the sewing one. And I'm Megan, I'm the writing one. And um, you're listening to There's No Thread. Ooh, that was good. Did I trample on you? Let's do it again. Yeah. And you are listening to There's No Thread. Where's the iron? Can mice and birds Still. sew? Oh, Polly, no, don't, don't cut off that dress. Is the machine Where's the iron? Oh my God, I'm sweating. Where's the iron? <laughs> Taffeta. Muslin. Ooh, I'd wear that. Is that, Is that machine, machine even threaded? Megan, what are we talking about today? We are talking about The Sound of Music, one of my favorite films <laughs> of all time. So you've seen this before. <laughs> I have seen this before. I would guess that I saw it annually for about the first 20 years of my life. But watching it for this was the first time I'd seen it in probably, I want to say 10 years. And Liza, it was incredible. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember watching it for the first time. I just remember that I always knew it. It was funny watching it. I when I was a kid, I related to the, all of the children, especially like I think I started it around Gretel, the youngest's age, and I probably oh okay kept watching it all the way up to Liesl's age. But watching it now, I totally related to the governess. <laughs> well, I related to the nuns because I'm that age now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought that too. That I remember watching it and being younger than 16. Mm-hmm. So like when she's singing the 16 going on 17 number, it was it was like, oh, this is an older person. Yeah. Who's doing older person things. No, I was super like, that's what high school is going to be like, and it's going to rock. <laughs> I also, I think I um, I mentioned that um, I I met Liesl. Yes. Please immediately tell me all about this. <laughs> Charming car. So uh, I had a, my, my first play um, that, that ran, when it ran in Los Angeles, but one of the actors... Um, was LA based and he um, grew up here and his mom I think was like best friends with Charmian Carr she's like a valley girl she's from uh, the uh, I think Glendale or the, somewhere in the San Fernando Valley and, like she kind of fell into acting did that role and I think that was one of the only things that she did she then opened an interior design firm in Encino um, so wild because she was really good she was so good but she came to my show and afterwards like I just looked across the room and it was Liesl I mean it was like 65 year old or 60 year old this was in 2000 that's amazing six so she actually passed away in 2016 so it would have been she was probably in her early 60s but like you could see her her face was the same the eyes were like blue and glitter like anyway she was delightful and kind and very complimentary she come and talk to you yeah we chatted we actually took a picture together I should see if I can find it oh yeah you should find Facebook it Facebook somewhere but so she came to see your play because her best friend's son was in it. Yeah. That's very sweet. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, my mom's bringing Liesl. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, you like Sound of Music? And I was like, what the fuck? I can't lose my mind. Yeah, Liesl's coming tonight. That's so crazy. Oh, man. And I was like, I love your work and Sound of Music. Like, oh I did gosh. totally fangirl. And uh, it was she lovely. Was cool with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is wonderful to think, like, were you in a hundred seat theater, fifty seat theater? Small. I would say. I would say mm, fifty to one hundred. It was. Okay. The, so that's a complex, actually. The um, oh, theater yeah. right on Santa Monica. The, yeah. There, it's now possibly I mean, going to close that's down. But awesome. That, yeah. You know, tiny little theater. We a were legit getting ready. icon. We trucked it down from Glendale. Yeah. 
to go to the complex theater. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I really loved... Um, so, like, her voice in this, she really does that mid-Atlantic accent, that actor accent. Do you know... You know, like, you're familiar with that, right? A little bit, yeah. Like, it's an actor voice. Yeah, Yeah. so I always thought, growing up in North Carolina, I always thought mid-Atlantic accent. Like, I'd heard that in reference to how actors talk. And I always thought it meant, like, Cape Cod, New England. Mm. Like, mid-Atlantic states. Okay. And it wasn't until I was here and working that I, either somebody told me or I just figured it out, that it means between the east coast of the United States and England. It literally means mid-Atlantic. Like, we're not quite British, we're not quite American. Oh. We're doing sort of a heightened, weird actor voice. And we live in the middle of the ocean. We live in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yes. She had, um, a, I know what you mean because I feel like I see it, you know, all the time in the She theater. doesn't sound like a Valley Girl. Just yeah, she doesn't. She's got a very, like, pronounced sort of, yeah, um, slightly over-articulated uh, accent. Yeah, it's funny, even when I moved out here and I would... I spent a lot of time like training myself out of my southern accent. I would listen to people that I, li- I had a lot of actor friends, so I would sort of like listen to it that they talked. And I started finding myself pronouncing like I would say instead of button, I'd say button and like cushion. You know, I there's like small changes that I made. I would mm-hmm. like I would not relax so much into my you know natural... like try not to drop T's. I used yeah. to say button, button, button. But it is like once you change the way that you speak, people treat you differently. It's awful. <laughs> Once you sound just slightly over-articulated, people are like, oh, this is an intelligent person. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, when, I'm not, though. So. When I was at UNC, <laughs> I took a philosophy class. And uh, the smartest person in that class was a girl with just an outrageous Southern accent. And it was always so, like, I loved it when Fucking she would raise her hand and talk. Yes. And it was so Southern. But everything she said was so smart. And, like, the professor was just some elderly, white-haired dude. And... Like, you could see, like, him really enjoying talking to her and, and everyone listening. Like, it was just very cool. Yes, I I had that experience. And it's funny because when I first moved out here, like, the South and Southern Southernisms were very much, like, podunk and looked down upon. But there's been such a, like, resurgence of oh, interest yeah. in oh, the yeah. South. And it's sort of, like, become niche and people, like, want to talk about accents and they want to hear accents and it's all very, like... You hear people say y'all that have no business saying y'all? No business saying y'all. Um... <laughs> And so that's been really nice because I, of course, um, you know, when I, when I first moved here, people would be like, where are you from? Like, I don't know how I sounded. I would get so much flack when I first got here. Did you ever tape an audition? No, I mean, I never auditioned for, this was just like working in TV, working in production, like interacting with people. They'd be like, where are you from? Like, it was very overtly problematic. That was the era when, like, I remember reading a bunch slightly earlier that Julia Roberts, who had been, who'd you know, grew up in Georgia, had to train out of her accent to become a real actress. And, like, no, I don't think they do that anymore. No. They would just be like, okay, here's how we need you to sound for this movie. Don't lose your accent. Yeah, just, yeah. Just do Irish for this movie or whatever. Yeah. But... Um, I think also as people are losing accents, regional accents, uh, we appreciate them more. The the American accent becomes more same, samey-sames all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think small regional differences are really appreciated. Yeah. And everyone, like, it was kind of everyone in this movie was. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I wonder if they had vocal coaches back then at the time who would just be like, here's our, here's the sound quality we want for this yes. movie. We want you all to kind of aim for that. And, yeah. like, none of them sounded Austrian, I wouldn't say, but you need them to sound <laughs> something. Let's uh, summarize this movie. 
Um, I would say it's um, young woman helps grieving widower rediscover that he loves his children. Yeah. I would say a directionless young woman is kind of forced into this family and then realizes it's the family that she always needed. <laughs> yeah. Jason was like, well, I guess we're going to have to have seven kids. Oh my God. Okay. I made a note of this because I love that even in 1965 when this was filmed slash 1938 when this was set, even back then, seven children was a horrifying amount. Yes. Like, she has a moment where, like, they tell her, you're going to go be governess to seven children, and she's horrified, and then she even sings about it a little bit, like... Yeah, she's, she sings a whole song about having the confidence to that's it. take care of... The confidence oh, in me, confidence. that's right. Yeah, to take care of seven kids, because, like, what a nightmare. <laughs> Honestly, the even only then. thing... Yeah, the only thing to do is to make them be a family band. I mean, there's no other way to corral such a... Yeah. Rowdy group of... You, you put them into some unit that they have to yeah. perform in, whether it's a sports team or a band or they have to build a house together Well, or I mean, he, the captain's kind of on that with this whole military thing. Yeah, I can't say I disagree with some of his disciplinary <laughs> measures. I mean, at the time I thought it was a bit archaic, and now I'm like, it's all right. Whistles work. Um, this movie was a lot funnier than I remembered. Mm. There's so many... You know, okay, so when we were watching that, we, I, we watched it last night, and it's three hours long, and I thought for sure I was going to be out. And I was up for the whole thing and loving it. Yes. And it was funny. It was more funny and more serious than I thought, too. There's a lot more st- political stuff that I did not yes. really remember. I felt the same way. Yeah. Um, I knew that, like, there was a Nazi element, but I didn't really feel the impact of it. I think, too, just because, like we're in sort of a weird tipping point in the world in general. And like, we see what's happening in Ukraine and like, we're yeah. kind of thinking about that and in our own country. But like, um, I could really feel how dire it was that people have to make decisions yeah. the day of, and just, Oh, I meant to put that lives. in my little mental summary of like, a uh, young woman helps a uh, grieving father reconnect with his children. P.S. Nazis are bad. <laughs> <laughs> like that's sound of music. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like the level of, of, um, how, uh, how futile it was to be resistant at all. Like even him, this like top naval officer, it was like, you either join the party or you go to jail and, and die yeah. or you yeah. run away. And, you and then your night. children yeah. are, who knows what happens to them. But no matter what happens, and, yeah. yeah, all of your wealth will be gone. If you leave, it'll probably all disappear if you stay as well. So anything that you've acquired in your life, say goodbye to it. Yeah, it is kind of dire. Like, I had sort of a dark moment watching this where I was like, if I see this with my darkest adult eyes, is he saying, let's just wander out into the mountains and die? Well, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, that is not what it would look like to cross the Alps. No. Like, it would be really dire and blue. They showed us what those mountains look like. Yeah. They do not look like a pleasant hike. Mm-mm. And where's the food? Because, yeah, like, in was... real life, what did they do? They... They bolted in the night, but they made it to, like, uh, Poland or something, or... In in the real story that this... The, the, so, it's a movie based on a musical, which was based very roughly, with a lot of changes, on a book that one of the children of that family wrote. So, in the real story, they just walked down to the train station and rode the train to Italy, because the captain had Italian citizenship as well. Oh, And so, okay. on their Italian passports, they were able to um, go to the United States... Yeah, that's right. I remember that thing about Italy. Yeah, so it was pretty anticlimactic, at least in comparison to this, but still a bolt in the night situation. Um, uh, I also loved how I, like, in the recesses of my brain, knew every single song. 
like without oh, yeah. even thinking. Yeah. And even Jason, who I don't think had ever seen it, it was fun to watch it with. What? Him. I mean, he'd seen parts of it, but like <laughs> that. Another thing about the humor, it was really funny because from the first song when the nuns are singing about Maria, he was like laughing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it is kind of funny. The, the lines are so witty, and yeah, you know. Anyway, so it was fun to watch it with someone who like really didn't have much of a recollection of it. So like Tall Guy said that it used to be on TV when he was a kid. Like if it ran on a holiday. By the time the second half would have happened, they would have been having Thanksgiving dinner or, like, whatever. So he's mm. he's pretty sure that he's seen the beginning of it about a million times more than the end of it. I have the same feeling. Actually, Jason and I were talking about how just the turn from the first to the second. It's just... It it's gets a so, real tonal shift. Yeah, yeah, it gets so dark and sad. And the first half is so positive and light. Like, her wedding's not particularly joyous. Yeah. Although that's, oh, what did you think about her dress? I thought it was absolutely stunning. Yeah, the, I thought it wedding was. Dress. I thought it was really good for both the '30s and the '60s. It kind of married the looks really well, and I thought yeah. her veil was really beautiful. And I loved that she was getting ready at, you know, that the nuns were with her, mm. and that she walked down the aisle alone. Yeah. I know. I feel like the movie was so modern in so many small and yeah ways like that. Oh my gosh! Speaking of the the nuns. I watching that I was just like, oh my god, like Bechtel test. Like here are not just two women not talking about a man, but like a bunch of women. And not only do they not do they have this entire conversation without mentioning a man, they sing a song. Yeah. Like this is this is pretty awesome. And they sing a song about the future of this woman that they really care about and making sure that like, you know, we don't know what's going on with her, but like we gotta solve it. We're 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 her family. We've gotta figure out how to like deal with her. And then Mother Superior has the the foresight to be like, let me send you out into the world. You yeah. know, you're afraid of it. We're not trying to force you into our yeah. way of life. We want to find the way of life that is right for you. Yeah. No, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was really good. I also, while we're watching this, I was kind of thinking, like, is Maria a manic pixie dream girl? Because, like, if we look at, like, I would say the definition of manic pixie dream girl is she's like a beam of sunshine whose role in the script is to push the male lead into an epiphany that advances his character to this next level so he can like continue with his story and um it's not a term that people like much because it's considered to be reductive mm-hmm. um but i always i kind of enjoy like just the magical element of a manic pixie dream girl and honestly i think it comes down to the pov point of view that um if it's a, if if it's the captain's story he can see her as the manic pixie dream girl who changes life. If it's Maria's story, maybe we don't we wouldn't call her that. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that it's Maria's story. I think the manic pixie dream girl thing that's so um, detrimental to it is the idea that the the character is not fully formed. She is just kind of adjacent to right. She's there to ma- to and, be a catalyst, for right? Him. And as yeah. soon as she pushes him in the right direction, which is usually like in a support role where she doesn't really have anything else going on for herself, she then kind of leaves. Or so I feel like, or I think that that Maria is not. Oh, because she doesn't leave because she's central to the story. Although, so I was looking at like superficial qualities of a manic pixie dream girl, uh, which have nothing to do with the definition, but are just what we see a lot in uh, portrayals are short hair, uh, childlike energy, enthusiasm, Mm. guilelessness, always happy, and also not pursuing a relationship. Like she's not trying to land him like the Baroness is. And um, oftentimes, weirdly, the manic pixie dream girl can sew which um, I was trying to think of why, and I was like, maybe it's because, like, is sewing intrinsically feminine? No, it's not. And then, like, is sewing magical? 
No, it's not. But a lot of times in movies, it's portrayed that way. And I was thinking about that, whether or not she's a manic pixie dream girl, when in the, the ending, the, the final action where, like, they're running from the Nazis in the abbey, she's game for this whole adventure. And I was just like, <laughs> this is so not how I would respond. I'd be so scared. Yeah. She's just like, right, let's do it. It's yeah. not like, well, there is wait a, till tomorrow. Yeah. Or... There is a very strong power dynamic here, which still wasn't as evident to yeah, me this true. time yeah. around. But again, Jason watching it for the first time was like, well, what choice does she really have here? If the, if the, um, the captain wants her back and wants to marry her, but she does kind of come back on her own volition. Um, and she, yeah, and she, she gets does, to choose to marry. Him. Yeah. And she does feel strongly about him, but you know, again, like, it's like at the time, given the power disparity between them, how much control and power does she actually have? How much of it is her actual attraction and how much of it is like, this is the best route for me. So the world of this movie, it's set in the real world with real events happening around them, but it is very, um, it's not fantasy, but it's, it's very, everything happens kind of effortlessly and sweetly. People respond the best way that they can mostly like the kids are really easy to win over mm -hmm. the baron is relatively easy to win over oh the captain oh sorry the captain i keep thinking it's the baron and the baroness but it's the captain and the baroness well it would be if he went that direction he would maybe become baron slash captain mm, i don't think he gets to take her title okay i don't think it goes that way oh shit doesn't go uphill <laughs> She becomes the captainess. I also like that no, she has kidding. all this money and she's like trying to figure out which man to give it to. And they're just very unabashed about that. Yeah. I really liked, I, I liked her a lot. And I liked that they established that she wasn't, she, she, did, she didn't need the money. Yeah. But she just kind of liked him. She really liked him. I actually thought it was so modern in a lot of ways, given the parameters of the yeah. actual story. Um, like there were very specific power roles. Yes. But um like she didn't want to be a mother to seven children. Yeah. But the the two of them, they had a scene together where they were just kind of flirting and it was like, oh yeah, they're great together. Yeah, totally. And even when she's like kind of getting Maria to leave, mm -hmm. she does it in a way that is um you can tell she's like a tiny bit conflicted about it, even though she ultimately pushes it through yeah. and does it. And when Maria comes back, she's like not that surprised. Um And anyway. then their breakup, I thought the Baroness did just a fantastic job with that breakup. Yeah. Where like he was starting to break up with her and then she was like, Let me I'm going to take this over. You, you know, like, we're not right for each other. That's cool. Uh, by the way, you're in love with her. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> and like, so like shocked. And it seemed like it dawned on him then. Yeah. Like, he didn't know it. And then he literally, that same moment, goes and hits on Julie Andrews in the Immediately. dark. Like a creeper. Creeps up on her, and she's alone on a bench at night. Yeah, that would have been a bad situation if she had not been in love with him. If mm -hmm. she was like, oh no, here comes my employer. Yes, I know, right? Here yeah. comes the guy that pays my bills. Gives yeah. me a roof over my head. I, seeing this with my dark adult eyes, I thought of that when she went back to the Abbey and the uh, nuns were all like, what happened? Like, I, it just, I had a moment of like, oh God, their first thought is he he did something really inappropriate. Right. And she ran away. Right. And I was, I was, I had the same thought. I was like, I wonder if Mother Superior is going to press her on if she has been assaulted in some way. Cause I couldn't really remember how that conversation went, but, um, all right. Well, the other thing I liked about her a lot is that she was extremely defiant. Like she wasn't afraid to get in a fight. She wasn't afraid to leave. I mean, she did leave. Yeah. She told him exactly what he was doing wrong with his kids. Yeah. Maria has asked the housekeeper and she asked the captain 
if she can have fabric for play clothes for the kids. The captain says no. What does the housekeeper say? I can't quite remember, but she's sort of like... Um, she's kind of like, dream on. Yeah, she's like, get with <laughs> it. Nobody's going to help you on this one. And oh, also, she says they don't play, they march. They don't play, they march. And then she like goes into a gossip sesh about the Baroness and like how mm. she thinks they might get married and whatever. That's right. Maria's like bummed. She's alone in the room. And she's like looking all around. And she's like, oh. And then she like <laughs> spots a curtain in her. And she's like, oh. And you have this moment. And I remember as a child being so impressed that this occurred to her. And now watching mm. it, I was like, all roads point to these drapes. They're massive. There's tons of them. And yeah. So then she does a big dance with the drapes. Um, she does a lot of like waving them around. Yeah. Just like make sure that there are going to be enough fabric. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is exactly what Liza would do if she's in this situation. <laughs> she would dance and like hold the fabric up at arm's length to make sure it's enough. Yeah. She almost does that measuring thing where you, yes. you can see if you've got a yard from, because it's from your nose to the tip of your fingers. I was wondering that. I was like, is this an important amount that she's doing? Cause she, yeah. yeah she, she almost it. does that. It's like how, just a quick way of estimating yardage. Nice. Yeah. So uh, she comes to the conclusion that she's going to make seven outfits out of how many drapes is it? Well, you'll get into that. Um, yeah. Would you, uh, like, how would you describe the kids' play clothes? I, I mean, I would say very Sound of Music, but that is literally the reference. <laughs> you know, a lot of, like, flowing, running, rolling around, um, a lot of movement in the clothing, and things that kind of exude happiness. Yeah. And freedom. I mean, there was a real freedom in this clothing. Yeah. In, in the clothing. So I did a little breakdown of what each kid is wearing. Starting with the youngest one, who's Gretel, who is five. So she has a little overalls. They have front patch pockets. They're shorts length. They have little, the overall straps button in the front. And they have a closure, uh, a button closure at her side. So she can get dressed herself, probably. Oh, so cute. Yeah. Marta is the next oldest. She's seven. She has sort of a jumper and shorts, and the jumper is button front, so she can definitely dress herself. It has big patch pockets. Um, it's sleeveless, and there are some sort of um, decorative bows at the shoulders that are meant to look like the shoulders are tied, mm. but it's just sort of a decorative thing. I was able to find a set of these on an auction site to look at pictures of the actual costumes without the actors in it, not stills from the movies, but just the costumes. Oh, how cool. So that's where I was able to, I like, I just looked at them and I made these descriptions. Cool. I really liked that the two youngest girls are wearing shorts. Mm -hmm. It's not dresses just because they're girls, that they can really like roll around and tumble and really play. Like the, I thought as far as like being play clothes, these are great play clothes. Yes. Yeah. Maria was really on it with this. Yeah, she was like, she knew what the kids need. Need to rumble. And so they both have pockets. In fact, all the kids have pockets except for um, Brigitta. So Brigitta is the next kid. She's 10. She has a dress and it has a capelet collar. The bodice is fitted and then it has a full skirt. She doesn't have pockets, but I really liked her dress for her because it's super girly. Mm -hmm. Kurt is the next step. He's 11. He has a button-up shirt that's short-sleeved, and cream shorts. Now, the cream shorts, I think, were made from the lining of the curtains. The next is Louisa, who's 13. She has a dress with a squared-off neckline, squared-off arm size. It buttons up the back. It has a very full skirt, but the fullness of the skirt is controlled by little ties at the sides of the waist, which are really pretty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, Friedrich is wearing lederhosen, which are shorts 
with suspenders, and then there's a, a control bar across the front, which um, keeps the shoulders from slipping off. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then in the traditional um, costumes of that area, a lot of times the, the bar will be decorated. But in this case, it's just very basic because these are play clothes. Liesl is 16. She has a puff sleeve dress. The puff sleeves are from the cream fabric that I think is the lining of the curtains. And her dress is uh, the most grown up looking of them all, of course. It has an open rounded neckline. The front has bust darts that go down through the waist and curve around the bottom of her pockets. So she's got these nice big pockets. And then the skirt is gored, but it's an A-line. It's not super full. Mm. And it has waist, a waist tie that comes from that side front seam and goes around to the back and ties in a bow. So flattering. Yeah. So her dress nice is shape. really pretty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you have a favorite dress of or Def- a favorite outfit of these kids? I would say definitely Liesl's. And then I also loved Gretel's little overalls. Gretel, yeah. So, so cute. cute. I like Brigitte's the best. I thought the, the movement that it had of the little capelet kind of fluttering and mm-hmm. she ran around was really cool. That was really cute, yeah. So I had um tall guy, like we were watching it and I, I kept asking him like, how big are those windows? How wide are they? Could he look at them and be and just kind of guess how big they were? Oh yeah, he was like, oh, they're four foot wide. Nice. I was like, really? Because I mean, they just looked huge, but then I was like, okay, well if she's five something and she went sideways, she'd yeah, be much longer feet. than the window. <laughs> how tall though did he think they were? He said they were eight feet tall. Okay. Okay, so like, We've got three issues. They are yardage, time, and the uh, wild card issue is washing machines. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so with, with yardage, now, um, Megan, you know uh, what a yard is because we went shopping for your wedding dress fabric and we bought a certain amount of yards of fabric. Sidebar, we needed the, what was it? The um, silk charmise. Oh, the, the charmise. We left and I was like, Liza, we got to get back there. Because I don't want to wait and think about this. This is what I want. She wanted me to think about it a little bit. We went back and they had like four and a quarter yards. They had just enough. Yeah, we bought the bolt. For my dress. Yeah. We bought all of it. Remember being like, don't you guys have more of this? And the sales guy was like, yeah, we always sell out. And I was like, get more of it. Yeah. (laughs) I see why. It's beautiful. Yeah. If you have something that consistently sells out, you should have more of it in the store. <laughs> also, this was pre-pandemic, so they had no excuse. There was no supply yeah. chain issue. I mean, no, maybe there was. This is but... back in the days of everything's available. Yeah. Go get it. Make it happen. Mood fabrics, we're talking to you. Yeah. Silk <laughs> charmies. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so a yard is, uh, just you just picture a fabric bolt. You unroll 36 inches. That's a yard. If you continue to unroll 36 more inches, you now have two yards. Mm, okay. So yardage is 36 inches by whatever width the fabric is. Fabric comes in different widths. Now, this is the problem. The standard width of fabric nowadays is 54 inches or 60 inches for stretch fabric. In the 1960s, it was 45 inches. In the 40s and 50s, it was 36 to 39 inches. In the 20s and 30s, it was 30 inches to 35 inches. And before 1915, it was 24 inches. And that's determined by the looms that manufacture the fabric. Wow. They've gotten bigger as technology has progressed. Yeah. So according to the setting of this film, the widest fabric she could get is 35 inches. Now, it was filmed in the 60s, so it could have been 45 inches. But we have to work within the world of this movie, Mm -hmm. which is the late 1930s, as they say, the last golden days of the 1930s. Yeah, so really late. Okay. So now, now we look at curtains. A modern standard floor length 
curtain for an eight foot window that's measuring from the top of the window down to the floor is 96 inches, right? If we divide 96 inches by 36 to get the yardage, because we, we need to know the yardage, that's two and a half yards per curtain at 34 inch width, which is what it would be in that time period. Mm -hmm. So each window has two curtains. That means that we have five yards of usable fabric per window, right? How many windows are there? That's the question. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when I was worried I was going to fall asleep, I sat down and I was like, okay, I have to know how many windows are in this room. That's all I have to know. If I'm asleep, you got to wake me up <laughs> so we can count those windows. <laughs> okay. So now I went through my little description of the kids' uh, outfits, and I even looked at some of my vintage patterns just to kind of check. And um, when you estimate yardage, you always want to go a little beyond what you need. You want extra. You don't want not enough. In case you fuck up. So, I, yeah. Yeah. So I estimated um, that you need 21 yards of fabric to get all seven of these outfits. So if each of Maria's windows have two curtains, which creates five yards of usable yardage per window, um, Maria needs to have five windows. That would give her a little extra because uh, five times four would be 20. She needs 21 yards. So she can maybe eke it out with four windows, but what she really wants to have is five windows. So the question is, does she have five windows? Do you know? It's, I definitely think she has four. I'm not sure about five. She has three windows. <gasps> right, because actually the other wall has the bathroom and then the other wall is the hallway. Yeah. So I think she has the two behind the bed. You have a picture. So oh, nice. I drew out, no, I drew this. This might not even be real. But so she's got one on each side of her bed. Yeah. Here's her wardrobe. This goes to the bathroom. This is the doorway to the hallway. This is the window that Liesl climbs in. Yep. And on one side of it, there's a table. And the she's other sitting side on the bed it, and she's praying. And yeah. So she's got three windows. There's definitely only three. Liza, I'm, I'm confirming that for you right now. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, when Luzel crawls into the window, she's got her back to the window. The other two are right to her right. right. Yeah. That's an affirmative on three windows. Uh oh, we have a big problem. Now, it's nice to know that the governess <laughs> got the corner room. I think that's kind of cool. It's a sweet room. Yeah, it is a sweet room. It just doesn't have enough windows. Yeah. <laughs> for not this for, job. Not for what she needs to do. <laughs> okay, but let's move on. So, for time, now in 1938, let's say, sewing patterns did exist, but does Maria have them? We don't see a sewing machine, scissors, pins, patterns. We see nothing. We see no supplies in her room. Yeah. But we know that she knows how to sew, and we know that she does make these. So now if she does not have patterns, she needs, and I just estimated this from the, um, what, the, what all the garments are. This is rough. This is, you know, if you've sewn these yourself and you've got a different number, that's cool, but this is just my estimate. <laughs> Do you think there's people out there that have sewn these themselves? Oh my gosh, 100%. Crazy. I mean, and considering this movie's been around since 1965, like that's saw... generations of fans. Okay, and they would see the movie and be like, I want to make those kind of, those clothes yeah. for my kids. For a Halloween costume, for a theater production, for uh, whatever. Oh, oh, right, of course, you of know? course, of course, yeah. Okay, so like, I'm estimating that if she, if she has to pattern these as well as cut them out and sew them, 114 hours total. <laughs> now, if she works 24 hours a day, nonstop, she could get them done in four and three quarters days. Now that's no sleeping, no eating, 100% sewing. Um, 
She should not do that. Uh, now, if she instead divides this into eight-hour workdays, she would need 14 and a quarter workdays, which is about two weeks. Now, she doesn't have that, though, because she takes care of the kids all day long. So um, <laughs> if she sews for two hours at night every night before bed, mm. which, does she have free time? Kind of yeah. seems like it. After she puts the kids to bed, she's just in a room chilling, yeah. praying and stuff. So now if she used that prayer and chilling time for two hours every night, I mean, I think she'd just go straight to bed because she's take care of seven kids every day. Yeah, she'd be exhausted. Yeah, but if she's not exhausted, um, so like we divide that 114 by two, she needs 57 days, which means yeah. it's almost two months. Now, Damn. then another question I had was, does Maria have Sundays off? Because she's a governess, she might have one day off a week. Now, if she has Sundays off and she considers sewing to be a form of prayer, so she lets herself do it on Sundays, mm. which she might. Sewing can be kind of meditative. Totally. She might make her feel yeah. more connected to her higher power. Okay, so if we have that 114 hours divided by a 12-hour workday, we have nine and a half Sundays, which is about two and a half months. So it's not that much better than just working on a little bit every night. Yeah, yeah. So no matter what, it's not overnight. Now, could she do weeknights and Sundays? That would cut some time down? That would probably cut it down into half. Yeah. But also be uh, such a nightmare. <laughs> but also, like, no matter how you calculate it, they are not ready the next day. Right. I always remember this as the movie presenting it as being magical overnight. But really, we just see her dancing around with the fabric. And then the next scene is a morning time scene of all the kids wearing their outfits. But there's nothing to timestamp it as the next morning. Mm -hmm. The kids don't say, I miss daddy already. He's just went on his trip today. They don't say, um, uh, he's already been gone for a month. Like they don't really timestamp it in any way. So although I had looked at it as movie magic of it's done the next morning, the movie doesn't tell us that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because also by the time we see them in their clothes, they, they are fully assimilated to like her and loving her as their governess. Yeah. We've seen that transition from them seeing her as an enemy to seeing her as a friend. Yeah, and they're a unit. Yeah. Right now. You're right. So it could be that this has been two and a half months. <laughs> totally. And that is actually a really good point because a lot of times when we're telling a story, we, we establish the situation and then we, 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 we show the transition into the thing and mm -hmm. then we're going to cut to like where the next kind of conflict will be, which will be after this other beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, of them all bonding together, running through the forest. I wonder if that two and a half wasn't... months later. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it wasn't meant to be movie magic. I wonder if it was meant to be, the audience will understand that this is that time has passed, and then the audience didn't understand. They just thought she was magic. Yeah. Um, well, they also thought she was Mary Poppins, so they thought she. Could that's have done the it. thing. Like she's not Mary Poppins. Wait, has she been Mary Poppins before this or yes. after this? Mary Poppins was right before. Oh wow. Okay. In fact, I read something where the producers went and saw Mary Poppins, and they were like. Sign this girl immediately before someone else does. We need her for Maria. Wow. That's incredible. Um, but uh, so I did think of one way that she could have made these overnight. I mean, two ways. She could have been Mary Poppins mm. and just magicked them. Or she would need approximately 9 to 13 other members of the, of the captain's household staff to join her in overnight uh, sewing. Yeah, you know the housekeeper thing. lady knows how to sew. Yeah. But yeah, but that is the issue is so far all we've seen is the butler and the um, housekeeper. Now let's assume that there's also like a scullery maid and a groundskeeper and he probably has horses, he's probably a groomsman, mm. and maybe there's a guy who takes care of his boats. And like there's probably a lot of household staff. 
But if they're not skilled, that's not helpful. Yeah. Like, you can't just throw people at a sewing problem and, uh, and, and like, that doesn't speed it up. This happens in theater a lot where people will be like, oh, I'll, I'll come and help in the theater. I know how to sew buttons. And it's just like, but the costume's not made of buttons. <laughs> like, that's great, but buttons is a 20-minute a job every six hours or so. Are you going to yeah. hang around and wait? <laughs> yeah. Like... Way to contribute. Yeah. Can you... I mean, like, oh. like, it's like, that was very sweet, but maybe instead what you could do is um, drive over and buy the fabric for us. Ooh, yeah. Run some errands. Yeah. Um, sewing machine. When was it invented again? Okay. So, yeah. Sewing machines are, they do exist in 1938. They became uh, common, or, or at least available for households in the late 1800s. That's right. Okay. So, like... If you've ever read um, Little House on the Prairie, like it's a big Boy, deal when they get a sewing machine. Yeah. And that was 1890s, somewhere in there. Again, this is another case where I wish that we had seen it in her bedroom. Mm. But I guess yeah. that it's like she just arrived and they're not going to assume she needs a sewing machine until she requests one. So it's not in her room yet. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by this idea of, of time passing because it totally makes sense. Like, of course time passed because also they all, like, fully trust her by the time she's yeah. teaching them how to sing. Yeah. Um, and uh, Isn't it funny? Like, you don't think of that watching this. Like, yeah. as a kid watching the movie, you're just like, Brung. Yeah. The next day, they all love her and they're yeah. frolicking through. I also really liked the process of her teaching them how to sing. Like, it was so delightful to watch now as an adult because... Oh, my God. That yeah. drove me nuts. Really? I was like... What? I actually looked this up because I was like, what is this do-re-mi? Is this real? Yeah. And then, yeah, it is real. But I, I just kept being like, why are you using do? Why don't you tell them the actual notes that the scale is instead of making up these nonsense syllables? But apparently nonsense syllables predates the scale. So yeah, I'm I, the one who's wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. And also it's just so um, like user friendly when you're young and yeah. like learning how it to sing. It would be easier to yeah. sing so instead of e or d or yeah whatever they are um but was the doe a deer like that part was all for the song for the musical yeah, so the song was was written by rogers and hammerstein yeah for the musical during me Fasolatida was just a was the yeah so they forever. exist and like different traditions have different syllables and like apparently in like shakespearean england they only used four of them i was just looking all this up this morning because i was just like I'm so irritated by this. Why don't they? Why doesn't she teach them the real way? And then it's like, oh, that is the real way. Well, when I was in Phantom of the Opera, when mm -hmm. I was nine years mm -hmm. old, um, my scene as Carlotta, the opera teacher, is me saying the scale and then turning into a, a frog. And so I got to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> I would go, do re mi fa so la ti fa. <laughs> and I would like I I would start riveting and stuff. And so that was like my first introduction to to doing it was like playing this like opera star opera teacher in phantom of the opera as a nine-year-old um so whenever i hear the scale i always end it with a ribbit sound or like being possessed by a that's funny by a frog so i'm always like do we me fasola and then i'm i can't even remember what happens and then in the you're story but laughing yeah did I'm you possessed. um did you do band in middle school did you ever learn were you taught in band to read music um, yeah, I was, I played the flute. Okay. Um, I played your flute, as a matter of fact. Awesome. <laughs> I inherited the family flute, um, and I played, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth, uh, and, and I think in ninth or tenth grade, I switched over to 
the dramas. The dramas and the vocals. And the vocals, yeah. <laughs> so you learned, but you had some professional like singing vocal training. I did, but not as but, well. But not sight. I had like voice lessons, but it wasn't necessarily music lessons, which I do mm. regret. I am not like a trained in theory or anything like that. Um, mm. But I did have a lot of like people listening to me do scales and tell me how to use my breath and stuff. I think now if I I could like play scales on the flute, but I can't sight sing, which is kind of a bummer. Like, I can't look at something and sing it. Oh, even though, you know, even though, like, assuming you were up, up to speed on the flute, you could look at something and play it, but you couldn't look at it and sing it? Um, I don't are they different? think so. I think they are This is a whole other world different. of music. I hope my music. professional musician <laughs> friends are not listening, but um, <laughs> um, I never did them at the same time. By the time I started singing, it was always, like, um, it was it was more about, like, pitch and sounding good and breath control and that and like how to sing like the mechanics mm. of singing versus the but right, I can so, still kind of remember the scale on the flute like the C D E F G H A B C D F G I think I, I remember it but I think if I picked up a flute I'd be I'd just be like oh yeah and then like nothing happens yeah so the last hurdle is the washing machine issue so um Washing machines uh, became available for domestic use for, like, you could buy one and have it in your home in the late 1930s. Oh. But do we think that the captain is an early adopter of new tech? Not necessarily. If they have one, even just washing draperies in a washing machine and then drying them in a dryer might take all day, you know, because they're big. So like yeah. half the curtains in one load, half the curtains in the next, and then drying them would take a long time, or you might line dry them, which would be an all-day thing. Yeah. Also, just because they're available in the U.S. doesn't mean they're available True. In, in Austria. Yeah, like I looked up something. Always... This thing that I looked up did say available in the late 30s in Austria, mm. but still, like, he's in the country. Yeah. They, like, make a big point of... This is he, not Vienna. This is not Vienna, Exactly. Now, the reason you have to wash them first is they need to be shrunk. They might not have been washed before they were hung because a lot of times curtains have sort of a starchy sizing that makes them have a lot of nice body, but it's not good for clothing you want to wear. So they need to be shrunk and they need to be have the sizing washed out. And they also just, if they've been hanging in the windows for a long time, they're grimy. Like they're dusty and... That white might be not a fun beige. to sew with, yeah. you know, and not fun for the kids to wear. So they need to be washed first. So what they would have to do is she would need to take them down, separate the lining from the outside, and then they would be soaked overnight with soap. And then they would be rinsed out and then they'd be boiled. Mm. And at some point they might even be scrubbed against a washboard. And they might be sort of stirred around. God, how many hours and days is that, Liza? <laughs> and then they need to be squeezed through a mangle. Have you ever heard of a mangle? No. So it's two rollers, and you feed the fabric through it and crank it, and it squishes out the water. God, living was so hard. Because if you hang up a soaking wet garment, it might never get dry. And then you hang them, and that really could take, like a lot of times in these, I got out my household laundry books. Um, This one's from 1904. This one's from the 1930s. They um, they talk about how, like, your washing process might end just in time for your next week's wash day. Like, it was just a long process. And I'm not even getting into, like, starching collars and starching whites and stuff. The invention of the washing machine must have changed the lives of women in unimaginable ways. For reals. Okay, so, uh, so just to recap, 
She does not have enough yardage. So we're already like, no, she could not. Does she have enough time? Perhaps. Yeah. Because as it turns out, she might have more time than we assume that she does. And can she wash them? If she's got two months or so, yeah, she might have been able to wash all the fabric and then have it ready. Yeah. But also, like, more importantly, she's not magical, but if we're looking at this as sort of a tall tale, like if this book was written by one of her daughters, it's like the point of view is this is my amazing mother who did this amazing mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's the, the point of view is not realism. The point of view is uh, love. And I'm going to give it a yes. She could do this because of the parameters of it being a tall tale. Because the other question would be the scene of learning how to sing. Is that supposed to take place over the course of one afternoon of running through the hills? Or is that sort of a jump cut in time as well, where we're like picking up pieces of all the song lessons over the course of, say, a couple of weeks? You know, actually, yeah, they they give us a costume hint in that. They show other play clothes. They do. That's right. They're like, I think by the fountain or something, they're wearing something So I think we can assume that she's giving them their music lesson over a long period of time. Yeah. And actually, I really liked that her, the other play clothes, which we don't, we're not necessarily told that she's made them, but it's possible. But they're more traditional Austrian looking. They've got uh, like dirndl skirts and aprons and little bodices. And Wait, little what's sleeves. a dirndl skirt? It's just a gathered skirt. Oh, okay. It's a cute name. But it's um, traditional to that area. Mm-hmm. It, it's really kind of highlighting that uh, Maria is Austrian. The captain is Austrian. And um, maybe that's another connection that they have is that she learned to sew from either the nuns or her parents or, you know, who, however, but that that's what she knows is these traditional Austrian garments. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, they're, this whole movie looks very 1960s, so they're not, like, perfect examples of 1930s traditional costumes, but we're definitely giving, like, a, a nod in that direction with the costumes. Another thing that um, I, of course, noticed was the allegiance to the country uh, the the patriotism was totally mm-hmm. not evident or pick up a bowl at all when i was a kid and oh yeah now you see it yeah and it was like this is so specific to not just the time period but this unapologetic love of country which i feel like americans don't i, I mean i think of, I, it was interesting watching because i was like oh this is you know you see all this coverage of of Ukraine and like staying and fighting and, and all these mm. things around like um, just how much people love their country. And I was like, God, I can't actually imagine. And also my country's large and my country's kind of can be kind of an asshole. And like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and this, the way that his allegiance to Austria is so strong and they're so yeah. proud of their culture. It's just like not something that. And he's like uncompromising about that. I think yes. that's another way that we, we should, we see that he's a good guy is that he's got no patience from Uncle Max being um, just trying to get along. Um, you know, I remember, I think I had to have um, our dad explain what what was the deal with Edelweiss. And, you know, I was just kind of like, they all seem to flip out when they sing this song. The whole audience is is going nuts at the end. Yeah. And, and I was just like, does the song mean something? And he's, I think he was just like, no, it's, it's a traditional song that, they grew up with and for them it represents their country which is which has been taken over yeah it's not a german song i mean that's kind of the thing and the last line of bless my homeland forever i was like oh man yeah he's about to lose all all these people yeah lost everything and and knew it in your face to the nazis of yeah 
bless my homeland. Yeah. <laughs> I did get a little, like, I got a little bit choked up during that part because I was like, I, I watched this so much as a kid <laughs> and I never really thought about what it would be like to bolt in the night and lose your whole country. And oh my gosh. People throughout history have been going through this over and over and over again in some part of the world. This, yeah. This, the, you know, this um, displacement. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know. It was like. Yeah. Tell me all the times you cried. So okay. Edelweiss. It's such a good, I mean, it's a good song. Like, oh, I actually got a little teary-eyed during the, um, <laughs> oh, Liza, you know, I'm just a am mess. I, am I about to make fun of you? <laughs> the Wayne Drops and Roses and Whispers on Kittens, that song. Really? Well, not in, like, a sobby way, but I was, just like, it's I, comforting. I loved that song so much as a little girl, and I, that feeling of being, like, home when it's raining, and, like, everyone, not like we were home when it was raining and everyone was singing, I couldn't get you to sing along to me with a musical life (laughs) um but um I felt like the very cozy childlike feeling and I was like oh god I remember loving the song there were a couple of like other strange parts where I was like what is happening to me what's happening to you and I'm trying to remember where Jason would be like are are you crying (laughs) (laughs) just like our whole life watching movie wait what about like climb every mountain does that get you um, it's like the the Reverend Mother. Well, that one I was trying to sing along to, and so mm. I, Jason was definitely like, "This one, let's sit this one out, honey. Like, let's let her have this one. <laughs> this is this a moment. really hard song. That last note, like, just <laughs> I did get a, I get a little choked up for that one. Oh, I also really liked the turn from like it was so quickly from the time that he heard them singing and he walked in and heard them singing Edelweiss to when he realized that he had been like. Like the amount of emotional, um, the emotional jump that he made in about 10 seconds was like, that was like five years of therapy for your average person. Yeah, he was like, bad dad, good dad. Good dad. (laughs) He was like, I have a huge emotional blockage and it's gone. Hands off, hands on. And also, I'm a professional (laughs) singer, guys. Listen to me. Yeah. By the way. (laughs) Let me, let me interject here with a little bit, a little verse of my own. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I. That was one of the things that was so delightful about the movie, too, was just how sweet it was in so many ways. Like, the kids really quickly loved Maria. And I thought that was pretty accurate to children, too. Like, it doesn't really take much for them. They they want to... They want to love you, you know? So it's, like, the way... the, The pace at which they get attached. Even when I was in Texas last year for a film festival, I met a bunch of college students. And this this one girl was like 18 and and she was so like eager and she had all these dreams and she wanted to like talk about my, and I was like, oh my God, this is how the children are. <laughs> it was so refreshing and like it just, it was, I was like, oh God, I love it. Anyway, so you could kind of see the speed at which they fell in love with Maria and that he, and that he fell in love with her and everything was kind of condensed in this like sweet way that I... It was I, really pleasing to watch. So there was so no pleasing. pushback and yeah. no complications. It was, yeah, it was The really kids were like, not evil. Yeah. They didn't ha- it wasn't like, what's wrong with this weird they kid? They didn't have to pursue one of the kids to really win them over. It was like, they're all yeah. just sort of a lump. And yeah, I mean, I think that's part of why I don't fall asleep is none of it was uh, hard to watch. It was all like, what's next? Yeah. The other thing I noticed this time around was um, there actually were not that many songs. Like a lot of musicals have like five to 10 oh, like big numbers. They're back to back or something. Yeah. But this was like The Sound of Music remixed a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Edelweiss remixed a whole bunch of times. Uh, Raindrops on Roses remixed a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And Do Re Mi Fa Sola Ti Da remixed a whole bunch of times. There's really like five songs yeah. well, that were just throughout the... How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? I love that that was True. her wedding song. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, you marry her off. 
Yeah, <laughs> Look this us. is yeah, how do you solve her? A man. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, get her a man. Yeah, the that one had a couple that one was kind of standalone. I have confidence, I guess, was kind of a standalone song. And oh, that's then, true. of course, Climb Every oh, Mountain. Oh, and then there was the Somewhere in My Youth and Childhood, I Must Have Done Something Good. Oh, and then there's the um, the Goat Herd song. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, the puppet song was great. Oh, and 16 offs. going on 17. I guess oh, there yeah. were a bunch of songs, but it felt like... Yeah, now that we list them all, yeah. there are a whole lot of songs. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite song of all those songs? Oh, God. Um... That's a really good question. Probably uh, 16 going on 17 would be up there. Um, is that just for like sentimental or like nostalgic reasons? Totally. Or is it because it's a banger? It's not really a banger. No. It's more like when I was young and I would watch it, of course the messaging again is like, don't worry little lady. Although her attitude is so sassy, Charmian yeah. Carr, that she's just like, believe this. <laughs> That's true. That's I'm, true. I'm laying some voodoo on you right now. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you'll take care of me, but on my terms. Yeah. It doesn't have, like, there's other musicals that, just, like, Phantom of the Opera comes to mind, where it's just, like, every song is just incredible. And this felt like it, it they're good and they're beautiful, but it wasn't as, um, I mean, I guess that's a, that's a rough comparison. Nothing is as good as Phantom. But, um. <laughs> Folks, you've heard it here. Nothing. <laughs> According Phantom to Megan, is, a, is as good as Phantom. Phantom is a hard, it's a hard one to top. But yeah, probably Edelweiss and the, oh, of course, I'll tell you my favorite song. Okay, let's I didn't even it. mention it. The Goodnight Song. Oh, the um, off leader Shane, so long, goodbye. Farewell. Yes. My favorite part in that song is when, I think it's Friedrich goes, adieu, oh, adieu yeah. to you and you and you. And then, of course, Gretel's part, which is, the sun has gone <laughs> to bed, and so must I. And then she goes and puts her little head down on the stairs. Less, I cried. Okay. <laughs> and her sister comes and takes her away. This is my dream as a five-year-old that Liza would come and pick me up and take me away. Um, yeah, too bad uh, your sister wasn't uh, Liesl. She definitely, I mean, she was sort of Liesl vibes, but not in no, the you, way that she you, was taking you had, her. You had the pricklier Liza version. <laughs> Um, I, I love that song and the little dance it goes I, with You know, that. I do like when, when the way that, uh, Friedrich, uh, the yeah, yeah, it's like, we are, we are doing this weird mid-Atlantic accent, but then we're bringing in some authentic quote, quotation marks, mm -hmm. sounds yeah, to their voices. Do their accents every once in a while. And the, the goat herding song was awesome. Yodelay, yodelay, yodelay. All right, Megan, I don't have the rights to any of this music, so don't be singing it. <laughs> I can't. Trust me, I know. I was explaining, I was trying to explain to Jason the difference between sync rights and master rights this morning, and I like, I was like, I know this. There, it, yeah, it's like a I whole... I mean, serious question. Do I have to edit out your singing from the podcast? Um, I think... Or is it considered commentary or homage? It's not... Or does nobody care? It's still I, think, I think we would say nobody cares at this point. If we got picked up by a heavy advertiser, we're making a lot of money, we shouldn't be playing. But then we could always be like, yeah, but it's so far from the good original. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> it really it's does not compare. <laughs> no, I think for, for, for our podcast purposes, it's probably okay to have it okay. peppered in. But if somebody reached out and was like, hey, you don't have the rights to that. You, you need you to need, cease and desist right now. You need to recut. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Oh, I wanted to say Actually, my can. favorite outfit, Maria's. So she had a look that was a dark gray dirndl skirt, which is just, it's like a big rectangle of fabric gathered down to the waist. And then she had a sort of a blouse with like sort of puffy sleeves, but not outrageous and a button of the back. And then a bodice, a like light tan bodice. Yep. And it was so slim. I know exactly up the what back, you're talking about. And like so That's the one where I was sculpted. like, shit. Yeah, and that that was my absolute favorite look. She yeah. looked so amazing in that, and the colors were so subtle mm-hmm. that it like it wasn't showy at all. It it was so wholesome, but um, so good looking. Yeah, I I loved that look. That was I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. I would say that my my favorite was the breakup dress from uh, the Baroness and mm, the yeah. Captain. She's wearing like a red. Well, you can describe it because I don't know the words. Besides, may have been strapless, but it was a red sort of sheath gown and then she had over a bolero jacket that was kind of sheer and beaded Mm. um so the neckline is almost like a sweetheart between the line of the bolero and then the top of the dress um and it was just that like a really beautiful rich red it was so beautiful and she was so elegant and her like beautiful bright bleached blonde hair and her red lips and her beautiful face just getting dumped she's getting dumped on a balcony yeah and she just took but she it she turned it around she turned it she around she was like you, she you can't him. dump me i dump you <laughs> i dump you first <laughs> <laughs> we've covered could they sew it we want them to there could yeah. could she have sewn it we're happy to believe uh we're gonna believe it yeah, yeah. we believe it um would she oh yeah she's absolutely motivated um because yeah like the kids had clothing um but i thought it was interesting that their clothing their their Clothing that come out in the beginning, which is like the sailor blouses, not particularly Austrian looking, but because Maria is Austrian, like she, uh, in a way helps them connect with homeland through the things that she sews for them. Mm, love it. Um, so like, that's just like a great, like all of her motivations for making those clothes are great. Love it. And should she, yeah, they, they needed it. She, uh, apparently has boundless energy that needs to go into something. <laughs> Can't just put it on the singing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, on all fronts, I say, uh, she could, she would, and she she did, she should have. Mm -hmm. I love it. I believe it. I don't want to tear it down. Great movie. All right. Well, that's it. That's it. That's every great movie. Single thing. (laughs) Great time. (laughs) All right, Megan, high five. Woo! Woo! All right, Liza. Catch you later. You've been listening to There's No Thread. Oh my goodness, listener, Megan and I were so into the idea of Maria sewing that we forgot to mention the actual costume designer, Dorothy Jeekins. Dorothy, great work. Thank you for listening to us here on our very first episode. If you'd like to see photos related to the episode, please follow our Instagram at There's No Thread. Thanks for listening. Keep it threaded. <laughs>